Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. evening again we're just going to talk about the uh, I, I, what I believe is truly a, a, a gift but it's a permission from God to us that he accepts as children uh, to call him father and to walk in that revelation um, the revelation of him being heavenly father or Abba and the revelation of us being being uh, children sons and daughters of the most high god and i believe that and it has me and it's been it's been difficult even at that uh to to adjust my 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 prayers and my dialect or not dialect but my dialogue with him and then how i view him uh and and how he views me you know i've always done this thing that you know he is he is master and I am servant. He is master and I am servant. And that is true, however. But he peers into our situation as sons and daughters. He peers into our reality as beloved son and beloved daughter. And that is truly our identity when it comes to how he perceives us. And if that's how he perceives us, then it must change how we perceive him. And he comes, he goes from master to father. Um, you know, we've always imagined God as being a uh, a ruthless tyrant, and I, I know that I have for a long time, or in times I have observed or thought of God in that way that He is a tyrant. With you know, and it, not necessarily to that extent, but that's always been a a it's always been a thought in the back of my mind that God is, you know. Uh, he all powerful, and if I mess up, he can punish me. And you know, let's just be honest. I, I am deserving of said punishment. I am not so pu- deserving of the reward of his grace and his mercy. However, he chooses to bestow those things upon me. Why? Because he is love. He is a good, good father. He gives. He gives himself in such a way. You know. Really, when we read the story of the prodigal son, and when it says that he divided his living among them, that actually could be and should have been, in my belief, translated that he gave his life for them. So the father gives us life. 
He bestows life unto us, and, the, and, the, and that which generates life in us comes from Him who is life. God is life. Yahweh is life. And it goes all the way back to the garden. He took Adam, he formed him out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into him the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. And listen, I am alive, as, and so were you today, because God chose to breathe the breath of life in you. Uh, sometimes we wake up in the mornings, and, and I'm guilty of this, I'll be an hour into my day before I acknowledge God. You know, uh, is, I mean, I, there's no excuse for that. And it's not that I believe that you need to go down. I know people that the first thing they do is they sit down with a 15, 20-minute devotion, and they drink a cup of coffee, and that's how they start their day. And that's fine. That's wonderful. It really is. Uh, but it's sometimes not practical for everyone to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go in and pick up a devotion and drink a cup of coffee. And it's certainly not... Uh, it, that certainly can account for your daily bread. That can't be all that you do. I mean, if it's all that you have time to do, by all means, do something as far as it pertains to communion with the Father. You know, have that relationship. Uh, kindle that relationship with Him as your Father. I was talking last night. We, we done a podcast. or was doing the second podcast last night. Uh, and... We were talking about some things. I mean, I guess, to me, it, it's, it's predestination or the belief of predestination. And I don't believe in that. I believe, however, that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world. And that I was to put on Jesus Christ and to make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So, And I also believe that according to Romans 8, I was predestined to be conformed unto the image of the Son of God. That's the only predestination I believe in, that humanity was created to be, uh, to coexist as one with divinity. Humanity and divinity together as unity. Or humanity and divinity in unity with one another. However, we've, we've missed the mark. And But Jesus came from the foundations of the world to be slain so that he can reconcile that relationship of humanity back to divinity and that you were born to be an image bearer of the Son, Christ Jesus, in this earth, being made conformable under the image of the Son. That's the predestination that I believe in. But here's one thing that I kind of touched on. I said, you know, to me, thinking of God as a Father... And, and it kind of, kind of, I'm trying to, that's the way I look at him. But if, if I looked at him that way and, 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 I, and I also meshed uh, pre, predestinationalism, if that's even a word, it would be me looking at my earthly father and saying, okay, he's already signed his will. And I get everything, or at least I get my, my portion of what is his, regardless of whether I continue to steward a healthy relationship with him or not. You know, the flesh in some people would begin to just, just to neglect that relationship and to neglect that, 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 uh, that proximity and that, you know, that togetherness and that unity and that development of 
relationship with one another. Uh, and because you see where I'm saying here, I would, I would continue to do what I wanted to do, and I would not establish or even steward a relationship with my father because if I was only visiting my father and trying to develop a relationship with my father to acquire what was his, if he signed the will and said, okay, everything that is mine is yours anyway, then I would not be so apt to establish, develop, and steward that relationship with, with, with my father. Some of us in the church kind of have a typical uh, perspective of God that way. We want to... We want to do the very minimum in hopes that it secures me being in the will of Yahweh, my Heavenly Father. Uh, but if we would begin to look at it as though the only thing that He truly desires is relationship, is conversation, is communion, is moments. Listen, I used to be an advocate that if you didn't spend 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes of the evening, 30 minutes at night, and you didn't do X amount of things, and you didn't, we had a checklist that we checked off. God is a God that is so in the moments. And it's very important for us not to neglect the moments that may seem insignificant to us. But truly, a God that has created everything that we can see with our eyes, that we can read about in history books, that we can read about in our Bible, the same God that created humanity, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that flooded the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, the same God that restored humanity back to himself through his son Christ Jesus, the same God that made a virgin named Mary conceive a son of the Holy God. Ghost, the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same God that 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 dreams for small moments to, to have fellowship with you. You, you individually. And he's a God so mighty and vast that he can do that. He can have moments of fellowship with you individually. Mo moments. And he, you know, he he desires to delight in those moments with those that he calls sons and daughters. I mean, where do you think that we as good fathers, and I believe most of us and all of us in the room are good fathers, that we develop that desire to spend moments with our children? It's because the God in us. It's, it's the God in us shining through that wants to have and desire those moments with our children so that we could continue to develop and steward relationships, that they would be healthier as adults, that they would be healthier as older adolescents, that looking back, they could say, I spent time with my father in moments that mean everything to me because they meant everything to him. If we could do that with God, with Yahweh, with Abba, and just know that every moment, every, every morning, it's the dawning of a new day, that we're going to experience opportunities slash and or, uh, and or moments that we can encounter the presence of Yahweh as Abba, and that we, could, we can enjoy the celebration of those moments to where he just wants to delight in us, and he just wants to love on us. And if we would begin to view our relationship with Abba in that perspective and that lie, 
we would be more enthusiastic, I hope and pray, to begin to seek and begin to search and begin to press in to his presence that we could find that place of fellowship. Amen. So I want to share some things again tonight with you that there are some difficulties when an individual will awaken to the revelation of the son, uh, the revelation of the sons of God. Okay, here's something that that is very significant, and I even heard Damon Thompson speak on it uh, as of late. He said that the church—I don't remember exactly how he said it—but in in to paraphrase what he said, he said the church is sitting around waiting for the rapture, while the earth and all the cosmos is sitting around groaning in travails, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Now Sunday morning. That word for manifestations is apocalypsis, which literally means revelation. There, there is a revelation of sonship that is being bestowed upon those that, who are willing to go into proximal devotion and sit down and say, Here I am, Father, I belong to you. The song that I had Brian sing at, at the end of church was Abba. I belong to you. And one of those, one of those lyrics is that your thoughts define me. Jeremiah 29 11 says that God says this I know my thoughts that I think towards you okay says the Lord thoughts uh, thoughts to prosper you and not of evil to give you an expected end and uh, I've got those in my notes let me find them here real quick I've got so many up here anyway I don't know where they're at but the word there for thought is makashavav, which literally means imagination. The word think is kashav, or kashab, which means to, uh, which it literally means to interpenetrate, or to mingle, or to weave. And the word interpenetrate literally means that two objects come together and engraft themselves so entangled that they then become one entity instead or rather than two. So once those things interpenetrate with one another, they can never be separated or divided again. So what really, when he says, I know my thoughts that I think towards you, he literally has an image in his heart because I don't believe that God has imaginations in his his mind as we would have imaginations in our mind I believe that he has imaginations in and from his heart so you were first an image within the center and the depths of his heart and when he began to speak those things he manifested those things and manifestation is a revealing so when he reveals things he gives you the revelation of what it is you are being revealed as sons and daughters of God why because I believe that he birthed you from the depths and the center of who he is and it's his heart Cardia is the Greek word for heart. And it literally means the center of all spiritual and physical life. Yahweh is the center. The Father, Abba, has got to be the center of all that is life. And he births sons and daughters into the manifestation or fruition of who they are. And the word there for expected end is literally... Tikvav Adekarith, which literally means expected future. 
That's why some of the revised versions say uh, an ex, uh, a future and a hope. Okay? Literally what that means is that he gives us, and I've, I've taught on this a couple times, maybe not this extensively, but what, it, what that means is that he gives us foresight. What is foresight? It means something in the future. Beforehand. It is, it is, and I like to say it this way, it is now but yet to come. And he allows you to be able to, through him, interpenetrating his story with your story, and then, then manifesting those things to come into a reality or fruition, he then allows you to already know the story. The storyline. Could you imagine, let me, if you will with me, uh, imagine this with me. This is how I see this. There's a storyline that has already been narrated for me. That, that, I was asked if I believe in predestination. I don't believe in predestination. I believe in the pre-narrative. So if, if, if I said anything, it's pre-narration. That's what I believe. I believe that your story has already been told to you. And this is how I believe that story has already been told to you. Do we know that God is, right? God is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Okay, so God is the same throughout your story. And God, listen to me when I say this. This is how I picture this. Okay, Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before you were born, before you came out of the womb, I knew you, ordained you, and sanctified you, a prophet of the nations. I picture that happening something like this. Yahweh, Abba, my heavenly father, is, has, has had an image of me in his heart. And when he decides that it's time to birth me from that imagination into fruition, into, into a fruition or manifestation, he speaks. And when he speaks, it's actually, through the Holy, it's actually through the Holy Spirit and him giving birth to his imagination. That's, and let me explain that. Uh, Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit moves across the face of the water. That word is rakoff, which literally means to hover or to brood. Which literally means that there was a breeding process that took place. There was a conception. The Holy Spirit began to conceive and come and allow to come to fruition the image that he saw the Father see. Foresight. Tikvav Adekarit. He saw it before it ever came to pass. But it was and is in the heart of God. Okay, your tomorrow has already happened for him. Does that make sense? Your, your next week and next month and the next three or four years has already happened to him. And what has really taken place is when he held you in the palm of his hand and he began to tell you your story, he was telling your story from experience and from the midst and the middle of said moment. So let me try to, let me try to illustrate this if I can. I'm, he's holding me in the palm of his hand an eternity ago. But he is dreaming of me and he has manifested me out of his imagination. I believe that it's imagination into inspiration, okay? Because everything that we find in the Bible is of inspiration of God, theonustos, which literally means that it's God-breathed or divinely breathed, which means that everything that is said comes because he exhales it into existence. 
So he breathed me into the palm of his hand where he could hold me as a child. And then he began to exhale my story. Why? Because he was exhaling my story from the middle of the moment in which he was telling me. So he told, this is why I believe God, God is a God without beginning or end. Amen. But God is also referred to as the beginning and the end. Okay, but there is no beginning and there is no ending of God. However, there is a beginning and an ending of your story. So he is in the beginning and he is in the end and he is the same throughout the entire story. Because the storyline revolves around him. What have I said about your journey, point A and point B, are actually the same point. Okay, your journey is not in a straight line. Even though we've got to walk the straight and narrow, your journey is in a straight line, but there's a curvature to it. Literally meaning that you go from point A to point B, and point A and point B is the same place. So God releases you to receive you. He releases you from his heart, and he images you forth into the earth so that you could be an image of the Christ, the Son of God, in this earth. So that when, when the time is near, or the time is due, I should say, he receives you back unto himself. Okay, how do I explain this? The word, the word kavav for think literally means to interpenetrate or to weave. Okay, how do I explain this? Because I see this, I see your story and my story coming together as a basket. Okay, it's, 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 uh, I think it's Romans 8 and 28. Better open my Bible make sure, right? Romans 8 and 28. Let me flip there real quick, make sure I'm on the right page here. Because it could be 29, but however. Okay, four, uh, 28 and 20, yeah, 8 and 28. Romans 8 and 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Uh, the word there for called is literally kletos, which means to invite. If we skip on down to verse 30, I'm gonna, let me just read on. Verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow. We all would understand that foreknow means that he knew us before time. Amen? He also did predestinate, which means that there was a predestination. But what was that predestination is clear. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He was considered the firstfruits of the resurrection, that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. The resurrection gave you access into sonship. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. I need you to understand that when it says... In verse 28, who are called, that is kletos, which literally means to invite. In verse 30, them he also called, that is kaleo, which means to call or, listen, give a name to, to receive the name of. Literally, he's saying in verse 28, that everyone is invited to come and partake and be a participant in the coming together of his purpose. Romans 8 and 28 is preached and taught with an emphasis that whatever happens in your life, God can use it to, for, for, a good and, for a good and favorable outcome. Okay? 
You lost your best friend, but God can use that for the good. That's really not what that's saying. God can use every situation for the outcome of good and the outcome of His glory. But what He is saying is that everything that takes place in the earth will, according to the pre-designed plan, which is to bring humanity back to divinity, to bring the heavens and the earth into a collision of unity as one, will work together for that ultimate goal and the ultimate goal is the purpose of God and that's what it is to bring sons and daughters back into the house of the father to bring heaven back into alignment with earth to bring divinity back into proximity with humanity that is the ultimate goal that was the initial design that's what he intended when he created Adam in the garden that's what he tried to fix was our mess up from Adam to Jesus Jesus came to reestablish that permission and that access that we might have life abundantly so He has invited each and every one of us into partaking and participating into the ultimate goal. His purpose. Your life and your story is mingled in the life of Yahweh and His story. Does that make sense? And when we come together and allow our lives to be interpenetrated to one another, to mingle and to be weed with one another, He is taking your ending and your beginning and your ending and your beginning and my ending and your beginning and bringing them together to where there is no ending or beginning. Because our stories tells of Him. Our story tells of the glory of the Son. Our story tells the glory of one named Abba. Our story comes together. And listen, and this is how we do this. When he is going through a rough spot or a battle, we all go through the rough spot in the battle because our stories are weaving back and forth together. Do you, and here's where I'm at with this. I believe that the bending and the breaking process in weaving the basket is actually the grace of God to bring you back onto the straight path. Why? Because the straight path is actually circular. It's going from point A to point B in a circular motion back to point A from point B. Or from point, back to point B from point A. But guess what's happened? When we are released into the earth, we will begin to go. I had, listen, when I was coon hunting a few, few years ago, I'm just not really all that into it, chasing a bunch of dogs around in the dark for nothing. Uh, but we had a set of blue tick hounds that were just... They were hard to guard. I mean, literally, they were not a preferable match, for some, for especially for around here. Because once their feet hit the ground, they would run in a straight line further the faster until they come across a coon. And if they run across a coon in 100 yards from releasing them from the truck... Thank you, Jesus. But most of the time, they would run for a mile. And it's hard to hear a dog bark within a mile around these parts. So then you'd have to drive up and listen, shut the truck off, and walk to the top of the mountain and listen and holler back down at somebody. And yeah, I hear and whatnot. You know, it's just it's a hassle. You know, because once they hit the ground, it was, they, it was, they ran as fast as they could, as hard as they could, and it was further the faster. But if you talk to someone who catches a lot of coons, they actually hunt with a dog that will hunt in a circle. 
They will go out there about 100 yards. They will sweep the, 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 the place, and they'll come back to you, check in, let you know that they're going back. So you release them in order to receive them. See, but we would release them and have to go hunt them. And it's a, it's a hassle. But we will do that very same thing. We will get released. And you know what release the release is? Freedom. A little bit of freedom. And we completely act up and don't know how to, we, we don't have, know how to behave in freedom. So guess what happens? Sometimes there's a, there's a breaking process in order to make you bend slightly enough to bring you back into the straight and narrow. Okay? This, this is kind of contrary and it sounds oxymoronic, but a lot of people don't realize that the broad and, and uh, that, that the Broadway that many take is actually straighter, if you will, than the actual straightway. Because if I'm going the Broadway, then I'm not breaking and I'm not bending enough to bring myself back to Jesus. I'm actually the more I, the, the farther I go, the further I get away from his presence. That's the broad path. The straight path is actually receiving grace enough to break and bend slightly enough to where he brings you back into alignment with the storyline. Point A to point B. That's, that's, that's what I believe, and that's how I believe in sonship. That's why I believe in the revelation of sons. I believe that if, and, and here's the thing about it, and I, I'm, I'll prove this with you. If we go to the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews talks about God chastises those that he loves. Do you know what the chastising part is? It's actually the slightly brokenness and the bending that he does in your life to bring you back to him. Do you know what it says about those that, that don't receive chastising from God? The Bible, the King James actually calls them bastards. Illegitimate sons. They're released and turned loose to go do their own thing. Literally. Doing your own thing is not a blessing. It's actually a curse. And, 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 and fools despise correction. But sons will adhere to the correction or the corrective actions of a father. That's all scripture on biblical. You know how you can tell. Listen, when people talk about, I, I'm, I'm a spiritual son, I'm a spiritual son, I'm a spiritual son. They're spiritual sons until they see a spiritual father chastise them for bad and, 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 and ir, not, or irresponsible behavior. They'll split in the beeline. Or they'll split, they'll split right, you know, right then and there. Because they don't want chastisement. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, they'll look for another church. And they'll look for another church that will, that will preach to their emotions and this and that and everything else. And here, here's really, uh, uh, the, the illegitimate people in the church are looking for enablers. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody that will pat them on the back and, 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 and comb, you know, uh, pet their head and tell them that it's all going to be okay because God will work all things out for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. Well, guess what? You're called, you were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And guess what? The image of his son was chastised for my disobedience. Salah. So it's very, very important for me to no longer spit in the face of Jesus when a spiritual father or even God, my heavenly father, chastises me because I know that he bear the punishment of my wickedness on the cross. And it is grace for me to receive the slight 
the slight brokenness and the bend, the bend in my storyline or the bend in my wheel so that I will come back into alignment with the storyline. So back to Jeremiah 1 and 5. He told me my story. And if I, I'm trying to emphasize something here the way that I see it in the spirit. God is. So God was, is. That's, that's bad grammar, I know. But God was, in the beginning of your story, he, the I am, the I am is. He always is the I am. He is always present tense. That's the best way I can explain it. In the beginning, he was present. In the end, he was present. And every moment throughout the middle, he was present. And what happened was, when he held you in the middle of in the palm of his hand, he was present there also. But he was just as much present in the middle of your story as he was in your presence telling you your story. So even while he was telling your story, he was in the middle of your story. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's kind of... Really, I understand. That's kind of hard to understand. I, I've, been, I've been sitting on this for a long time. I'm like, I even shared it with Brandy. She was like, wow. That's, I don't even know what to say. And I'm like, I don't either. But that's, that's really the way I see it. So God has me in the palm of his hand. And he tells me my entire story from my story. Does that make sense? So in the beginning of my story, he told me the story, my story from the beginning of it. Literally, it's like, if you can imagine this with me. It's God being omnipresent. So in the same time, as I said earlier, he's just as present in, 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 in the moment of holding me in his hand as he is in the moment of being in the midst of my story, throughout the duration of my story. So there never is a moment where God was. There's always a moment throughout the midst of my story where God just is. So when he is holding me in this scenario or in this scene and he's telling me my story he's narrating my story he's actually pre-narrating my story but he's telling me my story from experience because he's done been through it does that make sense good I'm glad this so in the beginning he tells me my story from the beginning then in the midst of my story and towards the middle, he's still telling my story as he sees it because he's telling me my story from the middle of seeing it. As he observes it, he narrates it. But he is narrating it because he first wrote it. He had the imagination of me and my story in his heart. So it was in him. That's why it is a part of him and his story and my story interpenetrate and are supposed to become the same story. But guess what happens? When my story stops bringing glory to God, God will no longer through grace bend and break me to bring me back into alignment because he cannot allow anything to bring a tarnishing and bring a, a disgrace and bring something that will hinder the glory of his story back into his story. That's why illegitimate sons are cut out of the storyline. Amen? What do I do with my water? Somebody spot that thing out for me. Is this helping? So now if you can imagine this with me. His name is Yahweh, right? He's God. God knows everything. Now, if you can, I want you to put, your, put yourself into that place to where he held you in the palm of his hand 
And I want you to imagine yourself being the image of his son and for him being the father, Abba, Father, dear Father. And now I want you to understand that when he told you your story, he was not telling you the story out of the posture or the position of a tyrant master. He was telling you the, story, the, the narrative of your story out of the most loving father. Can I share something with you? In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know my thoughts that I think towards you to prosper you and not of evil. I want you to emphasize that. I, a matter of fact, I want you to go home and write that scripture down somewhere. And I want you to capitalize and not for evil. The whole, the, whole, the whole statement, every word, I want you to capitalize it. Because I want you to understand that if there's anything in your storyline that is of evil, it was not the original storyline. Amen. When we get sick, that was not the original storyline. When we find when we when we find hard places and we find we find ourselves in desperations, we find ourselves in 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 in, in, in you know non favorable situations. Those were never in the original storyline. Those may be, and I believe most most assuredly are moments of grace that we may receive the slight brokenness and the bending in our story that our story will come back into alignment with the original storyline the tikvav adikatarith the expected future the expected future the expected end the future and the hope that we have in our story he is the narrator of your story but here's where it falls back on us. We have to be attentive enough to the narration of our story by way of Yahweh's voice that we, because of the tikvav adekaterith, the ability to see into the future, we have the ability to then declare those things that are not as though they are. They're now, but yet to come. But when we see things in the storyline that does not jive with his storyline, the original, we have the ability to say, this doesn't fit the storyline. Come on, somebody. Amen. This doesn't fit the storyline. And I have the ability by way of the gift of the goodness and grace of my father who has done told me this story. And I don't recollect or remember this part in my story. So I'm going to get back to the original narration. And I'm going to say, okay, this did not happen when I first initially heard the story. And guess what? He doesn't tell you your story one time. He tells you your story. He gives you foresight, okay? That's when he held you in the hand. In his hand, and that's when he gave you the tick bob, the expected future. He told you everything that he intended to happen to you, and that was to prosper you, and it did not include evil. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Okay, but he tells you the story from the midst of the moment of your story, but the whole time he, you are living out your story, he's still narrating your story. He doesn't tell you the story one time and then expect you to go along with the storyline. He tells you the storyline so that in the middle of your storyline you can start. Okay, let me put it this way. Deja vu. Anybody think, you know, you, I've been at McDonald's. As stupid as this may sound, I've been at McDonald's and walked up to the counter and been like, <gasps> I've seen this before. 
I'll be in, in a, a different, just, a, just, just many situations. I'll, I'll step up and be like, I've heard him say that before. Why? Because I've heard the story. Huh? I, I'm, people, and I'm not, I'm not um, we're not, you know, believing in the, 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 the I don't know, what, what would that be called? Superstition? I don't believe in superstition. I believe in pre-narrative. I believe in the pre-narration of my story. And when I see things that I have already experienced, and I say, well, I must have daydreamed this, or I must have had a dream about this, or I had deja vu. No, it's me remembering the storyline, and it's coming back into alignment with what I'm seeing because I've already seen it. So everything that I've seen has got to bring glory to the one that already declared it. I have some notes on this, but I don't have them printed off. They're actually, well, I do have them printed off, but they're in my car in a different location. Where do I want to go from here? Is, is this good for y'all? Y'all having? Jeremiah 29 and 11. And uh, Jeremiah 1 and 5. Those two scriptures are... Those two scriptures, I, I can tell you, when I knew, I can remember, I wished I knew this lady's name. I wished I knew this lady's name, but I do not know her name. But when I, before I ever gave my life, I knew, not that I gave, before I gave, I gave my life to Jesus, but Jesus was calling me to preach. And uh, I was scared to death. Because that, that, did not jive with my narrative. I never dreamed to be a preacher. And uh, man, I don't remember this lady, but she came to Brenton Church of God one time to a youth service, and it's probably been 10 or 11 years ago, and she preached her heart out, man, and the whole time I held my Bible in my hand, and there was, there was some scriptures through Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the chapter that called me to preach. I've never shared this story. Uh, but Jeremiah 1 and 5 was significant. Jeremiah 29 and 11 was significant. Uh, there's another scripture where he tells Jeremiah not to worry about what he'll say because he'll make his head flint. and or He'll make the words that come out of his mouth, excuse me, like fire and the people rubble. And they will be consumed by the word that Jeremiah preaches. That's one of the scriptures that confirmed my calling. Those three right there literally confirmed my calling but anyway I can remember that this woman was preaching and then and, and the church service was over and I couldn't move I was stunned I was completely completely I felt paralyzed I could not move and I was crying profusely that's all I could do sobbing I mean literally you know when you sob and you start to hyperventilate because you're crying and finally, she just looks over, she walks over to me, she says, can I help you with something? And I still cannot verbalize not even one word, and I start flipping through my Bible. I start showing her all the highlighted verses, and she looks at me, and she says, you're called to preach. And I shook my head, yeah. And she laid her hands, one hand on my stomach and one hand on my back, and she began to pray in the Spirit. And, uh, and I'll tell you something else, there was a confirming, that very night... That very night, through all of that, her sermon 
was completely a load of bricks just piled up on me. It was just affirmation from God. But then there was a young man that was in the praise and worship team there that that night stood up. But I have to, I have to rewind back to the next night. I was, in my, I was driving home from my parents' house to our house. We lived at Silo Holler. And when I got to the golf course, I come around that curve uh, at the beginning of the golf course. And I'm like, okay, God, listen to me. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you want me to preach, I said, you're going to have to give me a sign. And as I'm saying that, I come down into the next curve where the mouth of Reedy Creek is. Everybody knows where that is. And there was the biggest moon that was sitting there in the middle of the sky. And I seen that. And God said, as surely as this moon sets in the sky as a sign, tomorrow night during the service, I'm going to give you one. And that young boy who never, ever spoke up during church, he just played his piano and he sang. He stood up and he spoke prophetically that there was somebody in that room that night that God had been calling to preach and that he was there that night. He felt prophetically to confirm that calling. And from that day forward, I pursued the ministry because God confirmed the calling out of two witnesses. Jeremiah wanted... Jeremiah, the, the, the book of Jeremiah was one of, the, was one of the books. And there are specific, chapter, specific verses throughout chapters in that book that affirmed my calling. So Jeremiah, the, cha- the book of Jeremiah is very partial to me. Uh, namely, 1 and 5 and 29 and 11 have been, they've been anthems in my ministry and in my walk with God because I know that God has already predestinated my, my story. He had a plan for me. But my plan has got to coexist and it has to, it has to interpenetrate with his plan. If I begin to narrate my own story, I will be cut off from the original storyline. The script will no longer include me. Does anybody believe that? I believe that. I believe that if I deviate and waver from the script that he has written for me, I will not meet my mark. I will not make it back to point B. So, it's, I'm, you know, I, I say all that to say this. Nearly 12 years later, we're approaching somewhere around 12 years. I'm finally receiving answers for all the, all, all the mystery. Now, I won't say confusion. Because God's not the author of that. But the mystery in my calling and throughout my ministry has, I've went years and years without an answer. Nearly 12 years later, I'm receiving answers that are making a whole lot of sense. And you want me to tell you why I couldn't receive those answers 12 years ago? Because I wasn't mature enough to make hiding or tales of it. That's an old southern slang right there. I wasn't mature enough to make hiding or tales. Yeah. Strange, absolutely. And I mean, that's just, that's just the, our mind cannot. No, absolutely. And that's the whole, that, that's, that's really, yes. I, I amen that statement. Our minds cannot conceive uh, sometimes the storyline. 
But I, I believe that, and here's where I want to emphasize this again tonight. I can't accept the releasing into my storyline and neglect the fellowship and the communion with the narrator of my story through the duration of my story and expect my story uh, to be fulfilled the way and according to the intentions of the original script. Because if I do not steward the presence with the narrator, I am apt and greatly apt to deviate and waver left and right of my story and... Listen, I believe the danger in wavering left and right without, without the brokenness and without the bending of grace is that once we break left or right and do not respond to the breaking or the bending of grace, then we're lost because we deviate. And the farther we deviate, the farther we actually remove ourselves from the voice of the narrative. Amen. I mean, it's just like building this church. I mean, what is that? That's probably like a 30, 34, 36-foot span right there from that wall to this wall minus the stage. And, you know, and here's the thing about it. If I start at that end, and when I get to this end, I'm an inch and a half off, that doesn't seem like a whole lot, inch and a half. It is. It's quite a bit in a 36-foot span. But if I can imagine that that line went further into eternity, or let's say... That those 36, those 36 feet, uh, that they represented 36 years. Now, that is, that is the beginning of my story, and this is somewhere uh, towards the middle of my story. If I deviate one side or the other from there to here, and when I get from there to here, my deviation has caused me to be an inch and a half to one way or the other. Imagine if I do not allow correcting to take place to get me back on course. Imagine how far I would be off at an additional 36 feet. And then an additional 60 feet. I would completely miss the mark. Completely miss the mark. Grace is actually the receptiveness to being slightly broken that you may bend to bring you back into alignment to the storyline. It kind of puts things into perspective now, doesn't it? Because when I felt the breaking and the bending, I thought that I was being chastised. I thought that I was being abused. I thought that I was being, I was being disciplined harshly. But it was, it's never discipline. It's never chastisement. If I, if I look at it from the lens of love, it's always, it's always bringing me back into alignment. It's grace. Grace. And here's how I view grace. Grace is not allowing me to be who I want to be. Grace is discipline me to the point to where in the slight brokenness and the bendingness brings me back into the script and the storyline that the Father first spoke to me. It, yeah, I mean, I really think it should be. I, I agree with that statement 110%. That when I view it this way, and it, I did not always view it this way, but it makes it sweeter. It makes it more, uh, I don't want to say bearable, but bearable is the only thing that I could come up with uh, right now. It doesn't seem so much as a bother or a, um, a burden now because I know that he's trying to keep me in line with the, the script, 
so that I make it back. I, I am part of the fulfillment of his purpose. I mean, I love, I love 28, 29, and 30 of Romans chapter 8. Uh, and more, and let, me, let me go on and say, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called... I, I should I stopped right there. I didn't actually explain all that. But that word there called is kaleo. And it literally means to give a name to. Okay. Let me explain that. Uh, if I say, come here, Patty. We would all agree that I called Patty from one place to another. But if I looked and said, I'm going to call you Patty. I gave her a name. Now, I already know that her name was already given to her. But see, what happens was, as in this moment, when we answer the invitation to be partakers and participators in the fulfillment of the glory of God, he then had to change our name. Look, look, look at what Jesus did. Every time Jesus called someone to follow him, he changed their name. Did he not? So guess what happened when in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, what, where are we at here? 31, 30, 30, 30, excuse me. He predestinated, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, I'm going to translate this in, in, in a way that I feel the Holy Spirit has related this to me. Whom, who, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also, kaleo, he gave them a name. And whom he gave the name to, he gave them these names, justified and glorified. I, I believe that this scripture is indicative to the fact that he changed your name from whatever it was. Ashamed, sinner, defiled, guilty. He called you something different. He called you justified. And he called you glorified. Because in Jesus... Am I justified and glorified? In Jesus, am I just? And in Jesus, I'm just to stand in right relationship with the Father. Say amen. In Jesus, I am justified to stand in right relationship with the Father. And I, as a son or daughter, bring glory unto him, the Father. Kaleo. He called you. He named you. He gave a name to you. And those names, that name. I don't believe it's names. I believe it's a name. Okay? Let's go back to something I taught several months ago. Yeshua. Yeshua is the name of Jesus. Yeshua literally means God is salvation. Or can translate be translated God's salvation. I believe that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we actually... We actually we actually receive or we have been found acceptable and been given permission to then therefore walk every day, day thereafter in his identity. I'm now walking in salvation. Salvation is my identity, but salvation is his name. So therefore, I live my life for the one who loved me, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live in the identity of Yeshua in God's salvation. If I could write this, I would say salvation, colon, and then I would write a myriad of other things that followed it. And probably in the first top five would be glorified and justified. 
Those are things that begin to identify you when you put on Christ and do not fulfill the lust thereof. or the, You do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When you are positioned as son, you are positioned in him, Yeshua, the son. Does that make sense? If God was in the midst of your story, you cannot have God in the midst of your story without having Yeshua in the midst of your story. Because when he told you your story, he was speaking that story. And he was, he was speaking to you as if you were going to be the image bearer of his son in this earth. Say, I'm an image bearer. That's, that's okay. It's very, 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 very. What's the word I'm looking for here? It's not fair for me to put that title on you if you're not willing to receive it yet. And, I, and emphasis on yet. But I need you to understand that you were not called to be seated in this earth. Or you were not called to go throughout this life not knowing that there is a call and an invitation on you to fulfill the purpose of the Father. And he fulfills his purpose in this earth through sons and daughters. This, I mean, we, we're taught over and over and over and over again, you're a servant. You're a servant. You're, I, I can convince you to do something that you don't necessarily really want to do because I can tell you that this is my reasonable service. Huh? Romans 12. But, but uh, let's go look at Romans 12. We're almost there anyway. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. What does he want us to be conformed to? The image of his son, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So I don't need you to be conformed to this world. The world has conformed us into servants. The kingdom conforms us into the image of his son. Amen? By the renewing of your mind. What, what is the renewing of your mind? It's getting rid of that servant mentality. That I've got to do this in order to be accepted. Guess what? Okay, I've got four kids. I've got three sons and a daughter. They don't have to do anything to find acceptance in me. They don't have to... They don't, they don't have to be the best or the greatest or the fastest. They don't have to play all the sports. They don't, have, they, don't have to do, they don't have to do none of that for me to look at them and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But I will say this. I certainly want to see them work or I certainly want to see them perform. And I don't even like to use either of those two words. But I want to see them be the best that they can be in what they choose to do. If they want to be doctors, I want, them to see, I want to see them be the best doctor. If they want to be nurses, I want to see them be the best nurses. If they want to be a preacher, a pastor, evangelist, I want to see them be the best at whatever they choose to do. So I will, through chastising, bend them slightly to bring them back into the narrative. That's, my, that's what I do as a father. They may all have different stories, but the four of their stories will come together and it will then interpenetrate my story because my story is their story. Their story is my story. Does that make sense? 
Your children's story is a part of your story. And your story is a part of your children's story. It is no different. My story is a part of God's. Abba's. Abba's story is a part of mine. And they're to, they're to be weaved together for the purpose of his, for, for, for the intentions of his purpose. To bring everything back together. Now imagine a basket with me real quick. If I had a basket that was this tall. No one in this room could come up and point to the very first piece of reed that was weaved into that basket. Could you? And it would be very difficult, dang near impossible for any of you to find the end of one reed and show me the very end of that exact same reed. Why? Because they're all meshed together and weaved together and intertangled together and interpenetrated together to where all we see is the basket and the basket was the purpose. But every reed within that basket was put into that basket for the fulfilling of the purpose. Now guess what happens to a reed that won't bend and conform? It's broken. Completely broken and discarded of. So you're being bent and broken slightly so that you can conform to the image of his son for the fulfillment of his purpose. When God looks down into the midst of this story, which is called Laura Branch Church of God, he does not see any story that is separate from mine and Frank's or Maxine's or Deidre's or anyone else's. He doesn't see, uh, when, when, when Jerry McCoy was here, his story, it helped, main, it helped to build the purpose that was, that was according to his call. It was, it was meant, excuse me, I didn't mean to say according to his call, but according to his purpose, everything come together for the good. That it would be the fulfillment of Yahweh's call. Every person that has come and has contributed to this story is being weaved into the basket. And when the basket is fulfilled, no one will be able to say, well, that's Pastor Seth's story. And that's Pastor McCoy's story. And that's Frank's story. No, they're going to look and say, all I see is his story. When you want to be distinguished in that basket, you are not fit to be weaved into that basket. Period. Now let me give you some, I'm just going to say it how it is. We've seen people that did not want to be conformed to, so, that they could be, so that they could be interpenetrated into this story because they wanted to be distinguished from the story. There is no distinguishing in this story. And I, my, listen, I believe our story is different from anyone else's. But our story will also, as it comes together collectively for the fulfillment of his purpose, then will be used to come together collectively for the greater fulfillment of his purpose. I cannot worry about what the church down the road is doing. I cannot worry about those that choose to leave this church and go elsewhere. I cannot worry about that because all I see is everything coming together for the good of those that love him according to his purpose. And his purpose will be fulfilled. Can we, can we, we can't do the things that other churches do. But I guess what? There are things that we could do that other churches can't either. And there are things that we can allow ourselves to see. Listen, this, this, I'm, I promise you, and I know that we're probably going to be on podcast, but I don't, there, this, this, is, this is slightly different. Because guess what? My story is utterly insignificant if I try to separate my story from yours. Anytime you see somebody trying to separate their story from the original script, it is insignificant. And the Lord will discard 
They, listen, let's, let's speak in terms of scripts. You will go and you will read a book and then there are things that have been taken out of that script or out of that storyline that just was unnecessary. Hmm? There are times, I mean, how many times have, would, would we, I mean, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't read very many books. I guarantee you there's some autobiographies that, because autobiography, correct me if I'm wrong, is a book written by the person that it's about. They write their own story. I guarantee you that there is some, there, there is some bias. There, there is some integrity that is lost slightly. Because they're going to tell that story in the best light that shines a better perspective on them. They're not going to tell everything in the midst of their story. But now when you have somebody that writes a, uh, what, what is it, biography? When it's, when it's written from somebody else. They may put things in there that the original person of that, that is in the story may not have put. So what I'm trying to tell you is that in the storyline in the script that Yahweh has had for us. It is dangerous for you to try to write your own script and interject it into his story. Hmm? Why? Because he is the, he is the vine and we are the branches. But he also says in chapter 10, 15, he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. We cannot be engrafted into the vine if the vine does not accept our story. You know why? Because the branch is only an extension of the vine. My story interpenetrates and it intermingles and it extends his storyline. That's why he's the vine. And we are the branches. Amen. Guess what happens to a storyline that doesn't produce fruit? It's cut down. It's gathered by men and thrown into the fire. What time we got? You can go back there. Go ahead. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.